You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. Primal Radio, we're back. <laughs> Woo, Tom. How's it going, man? I'm good. For the benefit of our listeners, we're recording a couple of shows early because I'm going to be away for two weeks, completing my basic training with the army. Right now. So we can release some stuff so you guys still have some content coming your way. Thank God, because the world would end. <laughs> yeah, it, it's surprising how much effort it does take to say, for example, for a show, and this again, for the benefit of our listeners, right? Yeah. I've got to reach out to some martial artists to interview them. I've got right. to then provide them with a list of questions generally to give them an idea of what we're going to cover. So why, right, so welcome to, why are you providing with a list of questions, Tom? Well, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the guys ask for that, and I, I think it's good to sort of have done some research on them, right. particularly if I haven't met them. Um, right. And then obviously we record the show, there's scheduling issues with getting you, myself, and someone who might be in somewhere like Sweden, you know, lined up. Oh, it's a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. And then there's the editing and then there's the marketing. And then obviously we have to go again and do that next week. So sometimes, you know, we would love to be dropping shows on the plate of our listeners every week consistently, maybe more so. But there's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of logistics, right. And that's why like, we, when we used to do it at the studio here in New Jersey, uh, we had a set time. But as you said, this the challenge to schedule that. And then if someone could only go at a particular time, was the studio open? There were other radio shows and other programs going on there. So it wasn't always possible for us to do that. Sometimes I'm doing a show at 6 a.m. in New York time. It's what, 11 a.m. London time and 9 o'clock p.m. in uh, uh, Tokyo, you know, because our guest is, uh, is in Tokyo. So it is. It's a nightmare. I give you a lot of credit for doing all that nonsense but it's not that easy and as we get bigger and better obviously more and more stuff comes out but anyway so you're saying so you are go doing what with the army what is it going back to the beginning i guess i've had a lifelong interest in the army stuff and i failed doing the potential officers course for the royal marines the commandos when i was 19 and then my life took a different direction and then from the age of about 30, I've been looking at the websites thinking, you know, I wonder if I could join the reserves. Can I go back? When you were a kid, what interested you in the military? Was there a family member, a father, grandfather? No, not, not particularly. As with everyone, you know, there's relatives that have had military history, including sure. my dad did a tiny bit, but it's never been a thing. It was just, I don't know, I, feel, I felt compelled and drawn towards things like guns, action movies, <laughs> and heroes. And right. I think we were talking to Art Kaysen about this. I feel those same, that same magnetism towards that sort of stuff. Sure. I remember going to a careers fair when I'd finished high school, and all the jobs seemed boring, except for the military stands. You know, they had the, the Air Force, the Navy, the, the Army they really throw a lot more money at it. It's a lot more cool and it draws you in. You think, yeah, I want to do something that involves action and excitement and, and all the rest. Aside from trying when I was 19, I hadn't acted on that until relatively recently. And I was discussing with Andrew Jansen, you know, I've, I've been looking at the reserve websites, which is basically being a part-time soldier. So would you sit home alone on a Saturday night and look at these websites? I want to join the 
Royal Marines or something. Yeah, you'd, I'd be, say, frustrated with a job or I'd be looking for something something extra and I'd look at the websites and often it would be like, you can only do this job if you live in Scotland or something like that. Some of the more frontline kind of things, they're not available to reservists. Sure. So it was about finding the right stuff. And then I was talking to Andrew Jansen. He said, well, if I was to join, I'd join the HAC, the Honourable Artillery Company, because of their prestige and the networking opportunity. So it's the oldest regiment in the army. It's right in the centre of London. They've got some land associated to them, which, as you can imagine, like being in the centre of New York and having like a large green field is really quite Central rare. Central Park. So last year I started going down there and kind of investigating that. It moves relatively quickly until I got to all the medical stuff I mentioned before about kind of I'd had this hip injury last April and I had to do a training diary long story short it probably took me six months longer to join than I would have liked but in April I can you walk me through that process so you go down to the recruiting office is that what it would be called I guess that's what it would be called here so they had a recruitment night and it's in their house. So it's the house is like a very grand old mansion building. All right. So you went down there with the intention of getting information or like, fuck it, I'm doing it. I think I decided I was doing it already. So did you discuss that with your mom and your dad? I did not. I know you're a grown man, but that is funny because, look, if you get a tattoo of something, they might be upset, right? So... You, did you take their feelings into consideration? No. <laughs> I didn't tell any of my friends. You told nobody. I told nobody about it. And the reason so, was because so funny. when I was 19, I'd failed that potential officer's course for the Royal Marines. And whenever you have some sort of failure, it stays with you for a great deal of time. Going back to that experience, so the Royal Marines have a, a global appeal. So on the course that I was on, there was one guy from Canada who'd failed it the year before we'd come back to do it again. A guy from Zimbabwe who'd failed it and spent the year canoeing around the continent of Africa. So he was very fit. There was a PTI. <laughs> physical, Probably hungry. Too. Yeah, physical training instructor from the army. He was incredibly fit. And then I was 19. I'd literally turned 19 a, a few days beforehand. There was one guy who was like 18 and then everyone else had degrees and were like, you know, they were grown men, you know, they were like 23 years old, that sort of thing. And I just wasn't quite in the same league in any respect to these guys. And I'd been training, doing what I thought was good, solid training. (laughs) I'd never, you know, I didn't have what I've had with the army experience this time, which they have like what they call a phase zero, which is a, a nurturing phase. So I'd go down every Tuesday night and we'd do an hour of fizz. Some sessions were very hard and demanding, others less so. And then we'd do an hour of lectures on uh, like operations, weapons, etc., etc. So you were getting a good feel for what you were letting yourself in for and whether you really wanted to do it. And then we'd go for beers. Through the beer process, I got to know a lot of these guys. And by the time I joined up, you know, I'd already made quite a lot of friends. So... When I did that when I was 19, I didn't have any of that facility available to me. So to give you an example, when I went for my interview, they said, right, let's go into the garage and show me your pull-ups. And I jumped up and did reverse grip bicep curl style pull-ups. Chin-ups, they're called chin-ups. Yeah, chin-ups, sorry. They wanted like the wide grip pull-ups. And I did like a couple of them and I was like, wow, these are so much more difficult. (laughs) No, They certainly are. I didn't have that level of strength at that time, so... 
that was kind of my experience. I could have, after failing that course, I could still have gone in as a soldier. But I broke my collarbone playing football and then I ended up going off to university. As I say, as I say life just took, a, it took me off in a different direction. Fast forward to now and I, I almost feel like I, I'm too old to be doing it. I was surprised that I could still join up at my age and I'm one of the older guys who's doing it. So I'm, I'm 38 now right. and we've got 18, 19 year olds doing it as well. But, you know, that has some advantages as well. You know, I'm a bit more mature and I've, I've had more life experience. I've built up certain skill sets as right. well. So, yeah, I started in April. I mean, in essence, that in terms of like the skills that we've, that we've been working on, it's weapons handling skills, admin skills, you know, cleaning the rifles, cleaning yourself, yeah. <laughs> really telling you how to do everything in the army way, a bit on how to operate in the field. So, you know, spending nights in a forest yeah. and general kind of physical preparation and then drill. Uh, drill is the bit that I found the hardest I, in terms of like doing a parade and marching. <laughs> much like martial arts once you get it you get it and you never lose it there is a certain there is there is a rhythm to be maintained and if you lose oh, that sure. rhythm getting back in rhythm i find quite difficult but um well, especially with a man who has no rhythm <laughs> yeah and I, i've never been a dancer i've never played no. an instrument so that's the bit where i've kind of fallen down last week we had our mid-course interviews with the captain as part of that, they rank you. In, so you're force ranked into three thirds. You top, middle, or bottom. So I, I'm in the top rank, which is great. So that was a, a welcome confidence boost. Um, they said, you know, I've got some characteristics to be like a future NCO, so like non-commissioned wow. officer, like you know, corporal, sergeant, etc. And I was in with a chance of getting best trooper, which they described as my goal. Which I haven't said explicitly to anyone, but it's like the, right. you know, the longer you're there, the more you start thinking well you never know so things are going well and i'm kind of loving it and as i say i'm about to go on bravo which is a 16 day consolidated course is that right in london or you're going away somewhere winchester which is like down in hampshire is you know they're they're all like these kind of barracks that kind of look like no money's been spent on them since like the 60s probably not right yeah i might be wrong this one might be nicer but we'll do like five days in the field a lot of fears they build you up to a certain level of marching but the idea is at this stage everyone passes out together so you're not particularly expected to differentiate yourself to everyone else you know when we do the march we will do the march together it's not like i as a fitter person will be doing 20 miles and the less fit people will be doing six or something like that i think that's a good general high level update for Oh, yeah, no, that's great. Now, uh, after, so what's the end goal? So after this happens, you go on your two weeks. What? So do you have to go away once a weekend? For, like, I think when they had the reserves here, it's like once a month for a weekend and once every six months or a year for a week or two. It's essentially the same thing. That's right. So what we used to have in the UK was the reserves was former soldiers who through doing set committing to do like a, a week of training were basically saying i'm available if you need me and they would therefore get a bounty every year payable to them and then we had sure. another group called the territorial army which would basically look after domestic soldiering issues mm-hmm. so they're kind of like what would formerly be known as the home guard what they've now said is right the t- territorial um army term isn't really used and we're now all army reservists and what they want to move towards is with every deployment eight percent 
will be reservists. And they also want to have a kind of flexible working environment where if, for example, as I am, you're out of work, you could just seamlessly move in and work full time for the army. There's a plan for the British military, which is called, like, I think, the Army 2020. This involves a smaller army for dealing with the types of threats that we typically facing at the moment with more reliance on reservists. And I think they're also having a bit more of a focus towards peer-to-peer fighting. So typically over the last maybe 20 years or so, we've been fighting Afghanistan, Iraq, where they don't have air power. And I think there is a perception that, you know, the threat may come from a more advanced army, more advanced military like the Russians. Right. Now, how long how long are your reserves for? Is it four years, five years, ten yeah, years? Yeah, sorry, I didn't fully answer your question. So in terms of like the minimum commitment that we have to do is one evening a week, one weekend a month, and this 16-day consolidated period every year. One week, one night a week? That's a lot. That's more than I thought. I will complete basic training in September and then I go on to a six-month comms course. They want everyone to be trained up and skilled in radio. But there's a whole bunch well, of Well, did you tell things. them you have a radio show? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I... <laughs> Don't you know I'm a star of Primal Radio? That's funny. And so then you, you go be, into so your So you could conceivably, I'm sorry for him, if there are, there's a war that breaks out in Antarctica. <laughs> you know, Frosty the Snowman versus, you know, the... Is that like, yeah. So you could be deployed somewhere. Like they just say, hey, we need you. In theory, however, In theory. the reality behind it is that... Pretty slim. There's always the opportunity for you to say no. And what they say is family first, job second, army third. So you would have the option to say yes or no. Now, what actually happens in practice is that everyone wants to d- deploy or most people want to deploy and you know see the world, do, do a tour somewhere. And getting on a deployment then becomes very competitive. A deployment might be looking for a certain skill set. So for example, you know, radio operator. So we need a signals guy. And you would then apply. Now, there's a cost associated. So what the, what the reserves have to do is they have to kind of match your civilian salary, which you may, the people where I go will typically in central London have a very high civilian salary. So they're more likely to take, you know, if there was like a choice between two people and one of them was a student who had hardly any earnings, they would take that young guy who's the student because they know they can pay him ordinary military money rather than kind of a top city wage. Wow, I didn't know that. So would you recommend it for anyone else? Obviously, you have friends and acquaintances. There's no way this is for them. Agreed. I 100% would recommend it for those who have a enthusiasm and a passion for it. I mean, one thing that I've talked about with numerous people, but, you know, whether you could have some degree of national service. If, for example, when, when kids leave high school in the UK, I think it'd be beneficial to have, say, for example, a year where they dedicate themselves to some sort of public service. Because some people will never work in the, in the public sector ever. And by that, I mean, you might, you might volunteer for the ambulance service. You might get paid a small wage. I mean, it wouldn't have to be volunteering. But yeah, the NHS, our health service, fire department, you know, policing, military, whatever it might be. 
where you get an experience of doing something for the community, you gain some skills, etc., etc. Now, the military is the one that has the greatest calling for me, but I think doing some degree of public service, I think, would be a good thing for a lot of people, particularly those maybe from like underprivileged backgrounds to kind of develop some skills and or, or whatever it might be. The regiment that I've joined has this kind of proud history and certain traditions that are kind right. of pretty fascinating. But I think every regiment has some degree of that as well. And essentially what you do in the military is you're constantly training. So if you've got that kind of martial arts style mindset of, look, I want to improve and I want to get better... I think the military gives you that in abundance. One of the sergeants was explaining, he was saying like, look, he's done 13 years in the army. In that time, he's done two tours and he's going to Iraq next year. So mm-hmm. it's a tour for him will be six months. He said, you know, over the 13 years that he's done so far, he's done one year of real work. One year of real work. If you view the deployment as being the real work, everything sure. else has been training him to be ready for those deployments so yeah if, if if you like training personal development you know I, I like to think that this is going to give me a whole load of new skills in terms of like personal admin and discipline in particular certain things like better weapons handling etc etc which are a bit more military sp- specific sure. or operating in the field and bushcraft or whatever you want to call it um but a lot of things that are transferable to a work environment like leadership Oh, that's great. So you're thrilled you did it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. No regrets yet. No, and uh, longer term... (laughs) I don't think there will be. I think you're cut out for that. Yeah, and I think longer term, look, I can can walk away from it if it's not giving me what I want and need. I have certain ambitions. You know, I'd like to get up to sergeant. Um, My dad was uh, got up to corporal, so to, like, get one above him would be good. And (laughs) then... um, (laughs) And then I'd like to like do PTI qualifications, you know, sort of range master firearm stuff and things like that. And I, I'd, I'd enjoy teaching and training people much in the same way as I do with the martial arts stuff. Now, and another is that you did. Now you're a senior black. What's it called? A senior black red belt. So in rapid harness, basically we have a what they call a junior black belt, which I've always described as my black belt, which is what I did in the Philippines last year. Okay. The junior black. And I, I don't particularly like that term because it, it almost, it lowers your... <laughs> it does, it sounds demeaning. It does. You weren't good enough to get this. They should probably senior. adjust that. The way with, with Rapid Arnis syllabus, the brown belt, when you do brown two, you've covered the entire syllabus. Then you come back a year later as a sort of junior instructor and you cover it, but you should be truly excelling in it. So that was the junior black belt that I did in the Philippines. This was very meaningful for me. In May this year, I did the senior black belt, also known as the red belt, right? And the oh, reason why God. it's red is because Pat thought it'd be funny if when his guys went to events, that if his guys was like a, a red belt, but actually they were brilliant and better than everyone else. Um, <laughs> he, he saw some degree of comedy in that. Red is a very important colour in FMA, in the Filipino martial arts. So if you look at the Filipino flag, there's there's red and blue at the top and the bottom. Now, when the the Philippines is in wartime, yeah. those colours swap round. So the red goes to the top and the red is kind of the colour of war. And you'll see FMA practitioners wearing red a lot. 
the final idea of it was that you would spill blood for it. So this was the meaning of, of the red element. But essentially, it's to be an instructor level and to no longer be assessed and to no longer be, I guess, to some extent restricted and confined by a syllabus, which is what we've had to cover up up to now. It was a funny feeling doing it because I bet the year before felt like the really meaningful one for me. And like going through this one, I guess, didn't have quite the same. I just wanted to get it over and done with so I can sort of progress on with where I want to take my martial arts stuff and, right. and some of the other stuff that I've got going on in my life. It wasn't actually the toughest. I think I think because I knew the syllabus so inside out, it wasn't the toughest grading I've had with those guys. And mm-hmm. I'd been ill during the week leading up to it. Between rounds, I was coughing and spluttering, but... I think I got through it relatively unscathed. Four of us made it to Red Belt at the same time, which is three of us completing the program that I was doing and a guy called Jake. So it's never been heard of in the past that four people have done that at the same time. You know, it's normally normally like one at best, you know, so um, going through it each year. So there was a lot of kind of, I guess, pressure on us. Anyway, when they announced the results... They gave myself and a, a friend a provisional pass. My face at the time was like a smacked ass. I think you know it was very... <laughs> a provisional pass. That is a yeah. It kind of took the shine off it, and the fi- the feedback was that they felt that I'd kind of cruised it a bit. What do you mean cruised? How did cruise it? As in, I'd been on cruise control that I maybe hadn't brought the same kind of intensity as I brought to my black belt the year before, but. I think what it was, was I just didn't find it quite as challenging as I had done in the past. You know, every, every rapid honest grading, and I'd encourage anyone to attend, it's, it's, it's kind of open to all. They're really, really tough. And I think because I'd kind of got to that position of where, you know, at least with respect to the syllabus, I had some degree of like mastery and, I, you know, I kind of knew it. I wasn't really going to forget things. And when it came to the sparring, I wasn't maybe tested in the same way as I had been in previous years. You know, I, you know, the first few years were very tough because you're always fighting really big guys, and you know they've got a, they've got a certain level of skill, and you're relatively new to it. But I kind of got over it. So on the journey right. back to London, yeah, I was able to talk because we were sharing a car with Andy and some of the guys. I was able to talk through how that had made me feel and what bits I thought were unfair. And they were able to give me those bits of feedback that sort of said, well, you know, this is why we feel that way. And you're okay with it now? I'm cool with it. I've got my friend Paul, who didn't get a provisional. He passed it. He he keeps winding me up going, you know, you've, got, you've only got your provisional, that kind of ah, thing. But, ah, you know, you expect that kind of Challenge him to a duel, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, let's fight about it. Let's fight about it. Let's... That's fun. Well, that's good. And look, you got a lot of things going on. That's fantastic. And uh, I can't wait to hear about the army when you get back to see uh, how it actually was for your 16 days and the jungle. <laughs> Doing your jungle fighting. Moving on to you, a lot of success in the boxing world. Yes. We touched on it in the other show, but w- without going yeah. into too much detail. Yeah. What are you putting uh, that uh, down uh, to? Yeah, because uh, I'm awesome. <laughs> No, yeah, because we're doing a show on you know, depression and suicide. Oh, and by the way, 
you know, the box is doing well at Primal Jam. Never mind that. You know, it is kind of funny. Now, how do you how do you segue those two fucking shows together? So no. So here's what it is: is that I've I have put together a really good team of coaches uh, by just happenstance. Fortunate, I've attracted with true positive energy and the universe having good coaches come to me, having the proper appropriate talent come through. And look, we really know our shit. And you, you know, and you have to be able to communicate that effectively to, to, to your boxers or your fighters or what athletes or whatever it is that you're training. And they have to have a willingness to buy your bullshit, meaning that they believe in you and, and for what you're showing them. Um, we have a ton. You know, I probably have. Oh, I'll bet you 20 active fighters between MMA and boxing. That's a lot of fighters. Yeah. Uh, at all different levels, including Scrap, who is you know, at the top of the, the pile, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, you have people who want to have their first fight. A couple of people have had several. I've got several undefeated. Some are in open division, you know, or have only a, a couple losses. So it's all good. Work hard. Uh, very passionate about it. There's a lot of energy in there on one of those nights. And, uh, uh, and, um, I think we're doing the right thing day in and day out through the conditioning, through the knowledge, the breadth and depth. At all the various locations you've had in the past, there's always been a few good fighters and maybe one or two great fighters. But this is like the largest crop, if you will, of, of good fighters that you've produced. Is that because the gym's bigger and it can handle it? Is that because the name's spreading? And It's probably a combination of a few things. I know that people have heard about the gym. I don't really advertise the gym. You know, people hear about it, they come their way, and those are looking to, to fight. It's, and it's a good, friendly environment. It's a welcoming environment. We train you hard, but it's not done uh, maliciously or... We expect you to be great, to do the right thing and work hard. And those who are looking to to compete at whatever level, you can certainly find that success. You know, it's up to that individual to get where it is. But I'm very fortunate. So this year we have three Diamond Gloves championship. The Diamond Gloves is like the Golden Gloves. It is the state championship. We would have had more, but a couple of the guys had to drop out for a variety of reasons. So we had three in, in this, um, which is excellent. And um, and then, you know, throughout the years, we've had tons and Golden Gloves fighters. And we got guys, girls fighting all different ages. You know, so it's really pretty good. It's kind of exciting. It is a lot of work. I have to manage a lot of things. And then, of course, then we have, you know, Scrap, who's been with uh, Primal Gym for, I don't know, five years now, maybe. And um, and I've watched him grow. He was in my office this morning. He came in. Now, we're one week out from his biggest fight yet, his third fight as a pro. And we're fighting on an ESPN card in Pennsylvania. And the opponent, you know, is a real tough guy. And uh, actually, he might even think that we're the opponent. <laughs> Little does he know. So we've been working very hard. You know, part of it is trying to put all these pieces together. My job is to put all the cogs in the wheel together in the appropriate place and give them the right jobs and the right amount to do that kind of thing. So I, I've taken over Scraps conditioning and make sure he's conditioning every day and doing what I see that he needs. I do a lot of pad drills with him, 
Terrell has, has taken some of that from me. He's doing some of the pad drills and some of the other coaches to work on different things. They take him sparring to get, because you don't always have the appropriate sparring in one gym. You have to go to another gym or they have to come to your gym to get to sparring. Right. And, um, and that's been happening. Uh, we study the films. Now, see, as an a- amateur coach, you don't have as much film on someone as you do when they turn pro. There's more footage available. There's more things to look at, to look at that opponent and see, okay, he has the tendency to do this, and this is what we're going to do about that. In amateur boxing, you, you just got to go in and impose your will. And, and so we have a game plan of how we believe to approach this opponent and how we think he's going to approach us. And we put our game plan into action, and it's up to Scrap to do that. And he can certainly do it. His weight is spot on. He's hitting harder than ever. He's really in good shape. You can always be in better shape, though. I try to leave him in a puddle of sweat laying on my floor of my gym every time he's there. But I do take into play what Faraz says, and, and, and is like, which is a GSP's trainer, and I believe this wholeheartedly. You know, a 10 is at the end of fight camp. As hard as intense. That's where you see all the guys doing all the great ninja shit, flipping tires, jumping over things and stuff like that. And, and, and you know, a two out of that 10 is that man or woman who goes to the gym and walks on the treadmill for 30 minutes and then lifts weights for, you know, the, three sets of curls, three sets of this. So we try to float at like a seven. You know, you're cruising at a good pace down the interstate. There are workouts I only make him do a three. Yeah. Maybe shadow boxing, shadow sparring. We do a lot of, you know what I'm talking about when I say shadow sparring? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So I'm mimicking his opponent. I do have the ability to mimic a lot of styles, like a chameleon. Like if a guy fights like Muhammad Ali, I can do that. If he fights like Joe Frazier, I can do that. So I watch footage, and like I would mimic this guy's movements. Now, we're not making contact. I'm just letting him feel the pressure. I've studied his mechanics, and I'll go after him so he can start to see the genesis of every punch and how to move appropriately. So we'll do some of that, maybe on a three-day, you know? And then other days, he's flipping tires and sledgehammers and hitting the bag and doing Tabatas. And other days, he's sparring. So you have to have that happy dance so you're not totally destroyed. Some days, I want him crawling out of there. Most days, no. Almost on others. But it's gone pretty well. And as we fine-tune this machine, it gets better and better, you know, as we go along. And it's a lot of self-discourage. You also go, is he hurt? Did he hurt his hand? Is this happening? One of the things we started doing was cryotherapy this week or last week. You know what that is? It's like an ice bath. Right, but yeah, you go sure. you, you go into like a, a giant refrigerator <laughs> and they shoot the whatever it is on you and you, it freezes you for like three minutes and you get out and you, it helps you get rid of your inflammation and stuff. He hasn't had no real issues, but we figured that ah, we had an opportunity to take advantage of something, a local by a local business, and we'll give it a shot. And then, could I just inquire about the, some of the scale of this? So, firstly, the fighter that he's fighting, how old is he? How many fights has he had? What's his record? Um, I believe he's four now. His opponent, his opponent is a pedigree in amateur. He's a, he was a nationally ranked fighter as an amateur, a national champion. He's a real deal. And who's kind of like the lead ticket out of the two? Probably that guy. It's interesting because boxing, like as you're bringing up a guy through the the ranks, you have to be careful who you match your opponent with. You know, because if you lose that O, as Doc Watson will talk about it, 
it, it does knock you down the rung, uh, down the several steps, you know, down yeah. the ladder. So this is a big step for that guy to take on someone like Scrap. Um, Ballsy, top rank, is a promoter, and he is signed with top rank. So we're fighting on another promotion. Big move for that guy to fight a, a fighter like Scrap. And subsequently, it's a big move for us to fight a guy like that. This is a step. It's going on to ESPN. Right. It's not full pay-per-view or anything like that. Or it's, it's no, not It's not right. an undercard of one of those things. But it's nationally televised. Right. So the... And does that mean, like, Scrap, if he wins, is this, like, there's no going back from there? Like, now he's a TV guy? Um, no, there is. Look, you can, there's always um, yeah, different levels of the thing. Guys go back and forth all the time. Sometimes you fight at a local hotel. Sometimes you... Um, Shit, you know, you fight on a big card like, or a potentially big card like this. This is not a big, big card in that aspect. But uh, it, it is a serious step up. So, you know, there are concerns, of course, anytime uh, that you look at taking an opponent like that, you do have to worry, is this guy Clubber Lang? You know, is he training in the basement? He comes after Rocky and beats his ass. So it's it's going to be a good fight. I'm excited for it. It will knock him up. I know scraps in, in, in the rankings um, already after a couple of fights. So, you know, there's two knockouts. I was trying to pull it up right now, but I'm having issues pulling up to see where he is. Now, he's obviously in the infancy of it. I mean, a lot of guys will get this level and then just kind of go nowhere. I don't expect that from him no. on any level. You know, that's not our game plan. <laughs> His first two fights were really exciting you know i think that says a lot i think the first guy just wasn't remotely in the same league right. as Graham. 28 seconds yeah and the second guy made it to the second now scrap dropped him in the first round the second fight and then you saw the finish yeah in the second round and and so this fight is scheduled for six rounds you know i, I don't expect it to go the distance so i i think we'll get him earlier than that maybe second or third that's that would be my guess. I mean, that's not him speaking. That's me kind of looking at what I see and what he's capable of doing. You know, and I, I think he'll, he'll he'll do it. So it, it's exciting. And then where does it go from there? So I jump around. Where it goes from there? Then you know we see what's next. I know we're set to fight in um, October, or November, and that'll be four fights. I would like to have had five this year, but I think we'll end up with four possibly. Next year, I'd like to get six fights in once every other month. That'll put us to, to 10 fights. And then that starts to put us on the radar for a smaller title. Not a national title, like a, a smaller one. And maybe get you on Showtime or or a bigger event on one of the nationally broadcast channels. You know, So that's that's the gameplay. But it's, it's a lot because there's a lot of stuff that has to come together to make that happen. You know, Like I said, God forbid you take a loss at, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah. Not like MMA, you know, your career goes south real quick, and and then you got to make that comeback. So, but he is super talented. He um, has all the tools, as you see, all the skill set, and he's only getting better and stronger as we go along. So, I don't think he's even close to his potential. Yeah, it's been a great ride raising him, so to speak, from like 15 years old on, and seeing you know the growth and the development and, and the boxing intelligence. You know, yeah. seeing things, he's very, like like Tyson, like really knew the game. And, and we spent a lot of time on that. Well, what to look for, how to do things. 
and I spend time, of course, still tightening up things. No matter what, every fighter, every athlete, you can always tighten up your technique. There's always a slip somewhere. And you, just, you don't have to spend a lifetime on it, but you have to go back on turning your shoulders and transferring your weight this way or that way. So, anyway, so it's all good. So, you know, hopefully when you get back, we have good news. I imagine. It. So what is this? So this entails. Uh, so Saturday, I, I'm at my gym teaching classes, training all day. I go to Philadelphia. You know, probably go there around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, scrap uh, and some of the other coaches will be there from Friday night. I'm going to go down Friday night for the weigh-in, go back home and go back down Saturday. It's only about an hour drive. And then, um, you know, we might be fighting by 7, 8 o'clock that night. So it'll be cool. We got I got an official robe that has that logo, scrap logo on it. <laughs> yeah, as you go up there and you, you get all the things in place, you know, and uh, it gets bigger and more demanding. We'll see where it goes from there. I'm excited. Change the subject. I know this girl who's studying in New York and there's a guy who's going over to just do some martial arts and hang out in the US. If someone wants to come and sort of do a pilgrimage to Primal Gym, like what sort of show can you put on for them? Because I know you're not massively into the seminar game and these aren't necessarily people that are going to turn up and just do the regular schedule. They're not going to sign up for a membership. What can I do? By who, are you arranging something or... uh well no i I often say to people you know if they're in new york i'm like visit gym it's an hour's drive or like a couple of hours or less on the train right get up there do some training and then people are like well if it's a seminar yeah but you know oh i would absolutely just destroy them (laughs) (laughs) now of course if someone wanted to call you gotta do is reach out to us we'll take care of you We'll make sure you have a lot of fun, more information you ever have exposed you to a lot of cool things out of the gym. There's a lot of things. I mean, you go into Primal Gym now. I posted something the other day about uh, just pictures of the gym. My God, thousands and thousands of hits on it. You just an overview of what we had. Uh, every day, I mean, all day there's different people. There are different fighters coming in and out as we get bigger. So you walk in and go, wow. I mean, it's kind of cool. You can walk in off the street. This is the scary thing about it. And there's a boxing ring. I can have two guys beating the shit out of each other in the ring. Uh, right next to it, there's a bunch of heavy bags. I can have 10 guys on the bags. To the left, I got a cage. Like, like last every Tuesday and Thursday night, I got these fighters, MMA. I got four MMA fighters working. They're in the cage drilling for hours on things. Over to the right on the mat, I might have the Muay Thai class. I, I, maybe 20 people in Muay Thai. In the back where the weight room is, if you look at those photos, there might be like sort of, God forbid, I'm saying, but like a little boot camp kind of maybe CrossFit kind of thing going on. Not CrossFit, but that's the best way I can describe it. And then on the front turf, we got the rest of the boxers going on. There could be 70 people there at one shot. And then you walk in there, you're this housewife going, I just want to lose my thunder thighs. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, it it could be intimidating as heck, but it is very welcoming. Everybody's, you know. Very, uh, very nice. And look, I even tell people, and I don't know if I got this from Lackler or other people, not everybody's for us and we're not for everybody. And um, I, I, I've turned people away. And it's nice that I just go, ah, you're better off somewhere else. Yeah, Lack, in the same way as you've just described, if someone wants to go and it's not for them, he just like says, okay, that's cool. Initially, when you open up a place like this, you are scared as shit and you'll take anybody. And then you deal, after a while, you don't want to deal with people who are just energy vampires, you know, and sucking the life source out of your your soul. So I, 
there's books on stuff like choosing your customers. It sounds like your customers would choose you. You would That would be the logical thing that you would think. However, you might have a number of customers that you deal with, but there'll be like one out of 10 of them will be the one that causes you all the problems. The most cost will be there, or let's call it the 80-20 rule, but 20, you know, 20% of them are the customers that eat up most of your time, but don't actually make you any money. Absolutely. I get that all the time. Can I come in here and do... They'll come into the gym and they'll go, like my gym in during the day, from four o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night is all personal training, right? You're paying yeah. for personal training the fight and fighter training. So the fighters can come in and train. They'll be with a coach or myself. And then at five o'clock is when the class, people go, well, I just want to come in and hit the bank. How much is that? I go, we don't allow you to do that. Well, can I do this class and this class? Can I use that part of it? No. So you're already like, listen, no, you can't. I'll give an example today. A uh, guy is in there. He's working out with one of the trainers. He's got his shirt off. Doesn't seem like yeah. a big deal, but we have housewives and family stuff in the day. I don't want anyone in there with their shirt off. They're sweating all over the yeah. equipment. It's a distraction. Some people can be intimidated. Might not, might not like you for a whole. You can't go to a regular gym in London. I guarantee you, take your shirt off and work out. No, no. Wear a vest, but yeah, right, not. right. It's just not appropriate. And so I had one of the trainers say, "Hey, I'll just put on a shirt." Then they then he comes over and goes, well, why can't I take off my shirt? I said, nobody can take off their shirt. Because I see it all the time. I go, when? He goes, in boxing class. I said, that's in boxing class. It's a different clientele. It's a different training regimen altogether. I said, I don't even like them really doing there, but I let it slide a little bit. But he was sort of challenging me on it. I swear to God, I came about a half a second from just kicking him out. <laughs> because he was being, like, like I picked him. I said, listen. I said, go to any other gym in town now. Go take off a shirt and go lift weights. See how it works for you. And he goes, you're right. And I go, yeah, I know I'm right. Yeah. And so it's not picking on you. It's just my policy. So, Jim, to close out today's show, because I know you've got to run soon. So I've got 10 quick fire questions. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. Number one, what's the worst injury you've had? I've had my heart broken. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god i didn't even look at these questions that that was funny no. <laughs> oh, oh the bitch quick fire quick fire uh no no i, I you know nothing really bad at, at bumps and bruises i got kicked in the head once i'll give you, i may have shared this i was kickboxing this guy kick he was like six four two something kicks me in the left side of my head and my right arm falls asleep in the fight Wow. Like literally dropped by my side. Like if you've slept on it at night and it's all sandy and you can't shut off your alarm clock, I knocked the motherfucker out. But but he kicked me. And I remember it's got it was it was his thumb, boom, on the side of my head. My hands are at my face, my right arm drops to my side, and it's this is my exact thought. That wasn't good. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> so then I had to and I'm literally trying to pick the arm up and I had to fake it. And then eventually I got feeling back in and who knows what the years later. So that might have been the biggest injury, but nothing bad, nothing out of the ordinary. So that was long. It's slightly struggling with the quick fire concept. Fuck, I don't know what it is. Question two. Who is the most famous person you fought or sparred? I don't know if it's sparred. Wrestled with, you know, a number of, obviously, of course, the Gracies. That's not sparring. That's just wrestling and Dan Severn wrestling. With. No one uh, that you would probably know. Three, the best exercise is... Burpees. Really? 
but I think it's pull-ups. Burpees are horrible. Right. But it does involve the whole body. That, but yeah, see, that was it's just my a thought punishment. Process. Was the thought process was if you had to do one exercise, a pull-up doesn't cover the whole thing. A burpee probably does. True, but who needs good legs? <laughs> when you have when you have skinny <laughs> jeans. <laughs> You've got massive guns. Massive um, guns. Four, your favorite drill is a black and decker. <laughs> you don't even get that, do you? <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. that was just. Uh, we have that over here. We have pretty much everything you, you do. Have, I thought you guys were like a couple years behind us. Um, what? <laughs> we are. You are. No, my favorite drill would be. Um, I don't. If, if martial arts or fitness, you're not. You know, or anything. It doesn't matter. I, I would say something like the wall drill, or I like. I like. I do like the zombie drill that we do sometimes. No. The best kit supplier is. What is a kit? Focus mitts, gloves. Oh, you know. fuck. I don't know. In the US, it would probably be ringside or title. I like that Hibusa. Hi- hi- yeah, they're Hibusa. excellent. I don't think they have as much variety as the other guys. And yeah, true, price, but... true. What was the best seminar you've ever been to? I can tell you it would have been one that I did with Hawk and Tackett and Nick Hughes <laughs> years ago. That was the most fun for me because I had my buddies together in Kansas City. But it would definitely... Without a doubt, be a hawk or a tacket seminar. They were all great. As long as my buddies are showing up and I get to see them and have fun. That's they're all, For me, they're all good. I've learned something at every seminar I've always gone to, and I, 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 I just love them. So. That's why we need to do the Royal Range thing, because that would be the, the same game. Right. right. What is your favorite martial arts quote? I, I believe it's attributed to Dan and Asante. It goes, I'm not as good as I want to be, but twice as good as you think I am. Might be Bruce Lee, though. I've seen the meme I know in Asanto, and I like that quote. I think that's true. That's, I, I know people, you know, I walk in the gym and you have these young athletes come in, and they all of a sudden they see me jumping around. They're like, they would they would have never expected me to, to be able to do that, but I'm not anywhere near where I want to be. Yeah. Ever. Do you have any rituals you perform? I think you have a bunch. I do now. Um, uh, sacrificing... Uh, like when I cut a goat's head, <laughs> when I bleed out a chicken. Besides those, um, right now I'm into fucking meditating. Yeah. And my, so here, I, I mentioned it on the show the other day. Uh, I'm literally getting up at, uh, around three thirty, and I meditate for like thirty minutes, and and I do that at night before I go to bed. I, I guess it's a ritual now. It, it yeah. makes a difference when I talked about that. For whatever I do, it doesn't have you. For me, it helps me get centered. And I actually got up this morning, and I was like, "Ah, I, I gotta go." You you get that that need to hurry up and wait, get wherever you gotta go mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I don't have to punch a clock. No one's gonna know if I showed up late. <laughs> I own the business; it doesn't matter. But then I had to. I said, "You know what? I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna meditate and breathe." And, you know, and it's working for me right now. So that would be a ritual. What is your favorite martial arts movie? Karate Kid. What is the biggest myth in martial arts? That you have to register your hands as a lethal, a lethal weapon. I <laughs> <laughs> right, is my witness. I'm somewhere not long ago. This trainer, this guy who's talking to me, he knows I do martial arts and stuff. And he's, he's telling me, yeah. Well, I had to go it, and, and he's being dead fucking ball serious. I had to go register my hands with the police 
you know, because of you know, whatever reason, he's giving me his his history. And I'm just going, that is just such a crock of fucking shit. <laughs> but I'm glad you had to register your hands for, for with the police. You know, it's just nonsense, you know. But have you do you have you ever heard that one before? Uh, well, it's a joke, isn't it? It's but no, but he's that, serious. Ah. <laughs> That's so I mean people but people I and, and all honestly, people have asked me, do you have to register yourself as a like a deadly weapon or something? And uh, no, I don't. That's all I had for you, big man. Another good show. All right, buddy. Hey, another great show. Primal Radio. You can hear us on every kind of podcast available out there. Any great podcast. And, of course, primalradio.net if you need to get a hold of me, primaljimnj.com or primalfightpromotions.com. Our next big event, our biggest, baddest event. There will be 13 fights in the card September 7th. Here in Central New Jersey, reach out to us. We will uh, give you the information you need to buy tickets or perhaps be on a future event or be a sponsor. Tom, do you have anything you need to promote, want to promote? Just this show, baby. This show, Primal Radio. Like us, share. Whatever it is. What are a few other things you got to do with it? But <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Radio to master me, too. <laughs> I'll see you later. Peace out. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.